2: Hello and welcome to your post-match Retro Raw on AI Pro podcasting to you from, well I'm staring at the majestic Clare Island uh, enveloped in cloud and I've got Ackle Beg on my right and Clue Bay and its majesty on my left, but it's still rural Ireland, I'm still Trev Denny, and joining me to give their less than immediate reactions to Liverpool 3. Munich, Gladback won in the European Cup Final of 1977 from the uh, Stadio Olimpico in Rome are Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman. Dave, just a word on the concept of this show, because if this one goes off okay and we don't set the Discord alight, uh, we will probably do a couple more of them because... It's been an enjoyable process. If you just want to explain to people what it is they're going to be hearing in a nutshell uh, in the format of this show and the ones that we're going to do from here on.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, we obviously do Raw as an instant reaction after every game, and they're, they're one of our more popular podcasts, and without the games during the summer, we tend to be a bit, you know, sitting around, nothing to do. So I thought this could be an interesting idea to look back at some classic Liverpool games from the past and see you know, what people's reaction would be to us doing this kind of podcast and, and us, for our own enjoyment, getting to watch these old games that otherwise you might not take an hour and a half out of your day to sit down and watch. And this one in particular... Struck me as one that is fitting right now because we've just said goodbye to Sadio Mane, who was arguably our best player the last time we won the European Cup in 2019. And then he's just left, and a lot of people are wondering, you know, how are we going to replace Sadio? What's it going to be like without Sadio? And I think it's worth remembering that at this time in 1977, Liverpool's best player was Kevin Keegan who was arguably the best player in Europe at this point. And he left after this. He went to Hamburg. And not only did we replace him, we got even better. And that was kind of the start of this theme through the last 45 years of Liverpool Football Club of selling off great players and improving the team. And it hasn't always gone right. We all remember when Torres left and we bought Andy Carroll. But Suarez did improve us eventually. We all remember when Coutinho left and we brought in Allison and Virgil and we got infinitely better. You know, So this is just something we've done for 45 years. We've moved players on. And I just thought it was a bit fitting that in the week that Sadio leaves, that we do a game where... It's the last game for Kevin Keegan, the last, you know, the European Cup final. It's the most important game that he played for us. And he was he was an absolutely phenomenal footballer, as I'm sure we'll discuss.
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I really like that tie-up, because as I'm watching the game, and I'll hold my hands up and say that I'm just the wrong, I, I, like I was saying to you guys before the camera went, uh, or the mics went live, I'm just the wrong by a year, just the wrong age for this. I My first game was the 78 cup final with Kenny, who was Ke- Kevin Keegan's replacement, uh, as you alluded yeah. to. Uh, and it was a joy to watch him. Obviously I've seen loads of him because I'm a bit of a, a old match clips junkie. I used to love that stuff back in the day anyway, when you could get stuff on videos and DVDs and compilations. And there used to be a thing called match of the seventies, uh, which was a brilliant thing that used to be on late on a Friday evening when I was a kid. So I feel like I'm quite familiar with how Kevin Keegan played, but uh, there was a lovely sort of uh, similarity, uh, and 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 this is why I'm really looking forward to teasing out with you two lads today. And Jim, I'll just bring you in on this as a kind of a segue. You're watching the Reds in Europe, and the big takeaway from me as I'm watching Keegan and I'm thinking of. Mo and Sadio and I'm watching uh, some of our midfield maestros and I'm thinking of uh, the likes of Thiago and I'm looking at our defenders being quite um, elegant and, 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 and wonderful passing forward and I'm thinking of the likes of Virgil and I'm looking at the general style of play, Jim. And we can complicate things a lot and we should do so rightly because football is a more complex game probably than it's ever been. And yet good footy is just good footy. And as I was watching this, I was thinking, there's not too many wildly different things going on in that mm. park th- from from what we see uh, on a weekly basis under Jurgen Klopp um, in this iteration of Liverpool Gym because it's just good football, possession-based, fellas making intelligent runs, beautiful passing and some fantastic finishing. That's what football's all about. And I don't want to get too Basic, but did you have that sort of feeling as you were watching it that
0: that it's far more similar than different? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, um, I think the reason that you need to get complicated with football sometimes is maybe you've not got the players who are good enough to just play the game. And they were good players; they were excellent players. Obviously, they don't. You don't just put them all on a pitch and they just do the job. You still got to train them, come up with your tactics, work on them, improve them um give them the kick up the backside that Ronnie Moran would give them, give them the arm round the shoulder that maybe late in later years Roy Evans would give them. But all in all, it is, as is often said by many many a football expert, and you know, someone who's actually maybe managed the game will tell you stuff that it is a game that is quite often overcomplicated by people. And I'm not saying that the overcomplicated stuff is unnecessary because why not add to that? But I think you it is grounded in that 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 thing that if your player can pass your your team if you as a player you can pass as a teammate, you know you can make the run, you know that you to be in the right position, you know you'll get the pass, you know that you can open things up. It's it's that passing, it's that movement, it's that thinking. Um it's that sort of teamwork as well, which I think is a vital, vital part of this um twenty twenty decade uh Liverpool side, if you like, is is the way that we work as a team that if a player does want to go on a bit of a a run out of position so to speak if you're thinking of rigid positions then it won't matter because there'll be somebody keeping an eye on that and it's just sort of knowing what each other's going to do and that telepathy that starts to build up and I feel like watching that Liverpool team then it, it, if it wasn't for the fact that it was in kind of substandard VHS quality almost compared to what we're used to nowadays you you know you, the similarities are, are massive there's more and as you say I agree there's more, more that's the same than there is that's different I think and mm. that's and that's really I think why maybe we're doing so well now is that you know that that kind of way of playing was in a way was was kicked off by Shanks, continued by by Paisley, and then it went through until we had this big blip where we kind of lost it and we we sort of stopped building from within and we've had to kind of reboot that in many ways, but I think with clock we have and hopefully especially with him extending his contract by the time he does decide to move on, we'll have somebody in place who so can just keep that philosophy going because. It might have changed in some of the details, but the, the fundamentals are the same. I think the, the Jim Milner
2: era is coming, lads. <laughs> I just like to throw that in, just to throw throw Dave off his feet a bit there. But you know what? The the, the grainy footage thing, uh, and when people are hopefully when people will go and have a list, uh, have a watch of the game, or even have it on the background as we as we're talking it was driving me insane because I was trying to do raw. And I was like, what exactly happened there? Especially on the Simmonson goal, and I couldn't work it out at all. Mm-hmm. And I found myself replaying a replay, I went, Trev, take it easy, man. <laughs> it doesn't really. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it was like, yeah,
0: they, had like a, as if they had like a limit on how many replays they could show in the game. Yeah. They didn't yeah. want to yeah. use them all up. Oh my oh, God, it's... we can't,
2: yeah. You could replay a goal, but not a, not a foul or anything. Yeah. But not a foul or anything like that. And you know what, you made a little reference there, and it's a nice little segue for us, Jim, talking about telepathy because one of the great things, if you want to watch uh, a fantastic little bit of 70s TV, just put in Keegan and Toshak and telepathy into YouTube and you'll find this fantastic thing that they did where the lads were a famous partnership, of course, for Liverpool in a very, very successful era, uh, beginning under um, um, Bill Shankly. And, the, the the word was going round that the lads had this telepathic understanding. So they decided to test the telepathy and Jim and Dave, you'll have seen this. Uh, it ends with the lads trying to do card tricks in which, not to give too much away, there may be some cheating going on. So it is actually fantastic, a fantastic little bit of nostalgia. Look it up for yourselves if you haven't seen it. I really enjoyed that, but I'm going to, I think, revel a bit in the opening sort of structure, traditional structure of Raw by having a look at the two teams, because, I mean, this is where it gets great for us. We get to think back and talk about these guys and these different uh, great stars of the past for the Reds. But it'll also be interesting to have a look at a few of these Borussia Mönchengladbach players. Remember, mm. champions of Germany, you don't get a chance to play in this. That's the thing in the European Cup competition unless you're the bloody champions and by the way munchen gladbach um have had 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 secured the 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 uh, the championship the bundesliga again um before this game was played so you're talking about a really excellent team and I look forward to talking about this, some of their this is their-,
3: their greatest ever team this team won oh. five league titles in 8 years three in a row the last of which was just before this game they won two they won two uefa cups in 5 years they lost the UEFA Cup in two other finals in a, in a it basically a seven-year run where they got to four UEFA Cup finals, won, two lost two, and got to this European Cup final. They were just outstanding. They were the dominant German team, and they were littered with international players, oh. many of whom people might be more familiar with as managers now, or, or you know guys that went on and had great managerial careers. This was a phenomenally good Munch and Gladback team
2: and the 73 iteration of gladbach were the team that we beat in the uefa cup final um, mm. one of those finals that they reached and okay you, you know what you you've kind of driven us there so why don't we go and have a look at the, at that borussia munich gladbach team and look just uh, heads up jim and i will have more of a familiarity uh, by dint of the of the age that we are but i think your uh, curiosity gene will put you on a par with us in terms of this uh, but an awful lot of these names especially for those slightly longer in the tooth are going to resonate because again if you did see any stuff from 70s clips and throwback shows at least one or two of these names are going to resonate for you and they lined up with uh, Wolfgang Nieb in goal. Bertie Vogts, of course, was the captain of the side and a German national team stalwart. Um, some people in the uh, who, who are listening to this will only be familiar with the iteration who popped up as a manager in English football. That would be very, very sad because he, he's a real interesting character. I look forward to talking about him a bit. Just to go through the rest of the team then and I'll get you both to pick out a person or two from it, just to have a wee chat about. They had Klinkhammer, they had Wittkamp, uh, Raynor Bonhoeff, um, who Barry Davies was really enjoying um, in the commentary that I was watching. Uh, Horst fallers, the wonderfully talented Alan Simison, the Dane of course, Um, I think the only uh, non-German in the team, Uh, Wimmer uh, who was uh, another international, uh, Stielke, uh, Schaefer and uh, Jupp Heinkes up top. Um, Wonderful, wonderful uh, group of footballers playing some wonderful football. Uh, Dave, if you were to pick one guy out there, I mean, the likes of Bonhoeff and Heinkes and Bertie Vogts, people would be familiar with, who, who, who's, who's the one you're going to single out if you wanted to look at one at least, or maybe two?
3: Well, the, the one that kind of has, I've always had this fascination with is, is Bertie Volks, who was the manager of the German national team in 96, which is my favourite international team of all time. And it's kind of what got me fascinated by German football. And he was a tactical genius. And like you said, a lot of people remember him from when he came over and managed Scotland and it didn't go all that well. But this guy was legitimately a genius, a a footballing genius. And you could see it in how he played as well. He played right back and he had this, early on he had this reputation as just being a a trier, a guy that will really give us all, doesn't really have the technical ability but he'll give it all but over his career which spans 65 to 79 all for Gladbach he plays 96 times for the national team makes the national team within two years of his Gladbach debut which will tell you how much he improved because this is like a golden generation for the German national team as well remember the other this is the Beckenbauer Gerd Müller kind of era that's it He improved His technical level but it was his his reading of the game and his positional sense and his intelligence that really stood out and what you get in this game is arguably two of the most intelligent players that ever played the game head to head. You get Bertie Vokes on their side you get Ray Kennedy on our side and that's a really really special little battle that takes place in this game is those two on that left wing, going at it, and it, there's no, no quarter-ass, none given. They kick absolute lumps of each other throughout the game, but it's all done within the spirit of the game. There's no dirty player ending here. And he he's won, and then you mentioned Alan Simmonson. I mean, what, what a player, you know, one of the, the greatest Danish players of all time, would leave Gladbach and go to Barcelona. And then, bizarrely, Charlton Athletic was his next move. <laughs> so within five years of this game, he's lining out for Charlton, and he's still only 30, but he was a great player for the Danish team. And again, someone that went on and managed for a long time, like many of this team. That's the striking thing about this mm. Gladbach, was how many of them went on and managed. Obviously, a lot of people will be familiar with Jupp Heynckes because he, he's been a manager so often and, and for so long and had great success with that Bayern team that he won the European Cup with. But it is striking to me how many of these players went on and had good managerial careers. But Bertie Vogts, to me, he's the one that's always stood out. And like I said, he kind of began my real fascination with German football.
2: That sometimes happens when you've got a really uh, dominant managerial character. Um, it can work both ways. You can have uh, a team, uh, uh, you know, squads who... I have literally no interest in ever pursuing the game, but it can happen um, that uh, whatever it is about the influence of the manager, sometimes I think it's if you have a particularly good teacher and you think, you know, I wouldn't mind trying that for a living because I'd like to be doing what that guy's doing. Um, sometimes you see that and I wonder if Udo Latek, uh could could hold his hand up and and and, and say, yeah, maybe I'm responsible for um, the way some of these guys think about the game. I don't know. that That's just an interesting thing. And Jim, just to give you your 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 tuppence worth on the Munch and uh crew. I mean, there are other uh, players there, like Vimmer, who I think was, um, you know, midfield for with with Gunter Netzer for that um, that wonderful German team, seventy four uh, World Cup uh, champions. Unless I'm completely losing the run of myself. Um, and we mentioned Rainer Bonhof before uh your is again as dave says a lot of people only know him as a manager but it's always lovely you take it back a few decades and you see these guys in uh, all their glory um sometimes it's just to see the likes of a Clapo striding the park and you go okay fair play but when you see some of these guys who are you know genuine world talents um it's it's quite exciting too like bertie votes like your pinkers um what Takes your eye, or is there anything you want to mention about them before we go and have a look at the Reds and start talking about who is in the lineup and more to the point,
0: uh, to start us off who wasn't? But just uh, a last word on on Munching Gladback before we move on. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that stands out about them is that, as you say, they're predominantly all German, and three years earlier, West Germany, as it was, still was then, had just won the World Cup. So, and and Bonoff is one of the players that you've mentioned that. That was part of that. In fact, I believe he may have been the youngest ever World Cup winner, for, or, or Germany's youngest ever World Cup winner, something along those lines. When he played in '74, so so by '77, you know these players are really coming in into the peak in many ways. And but votes is Bertie votes is the one that stood out to me, and I think that goes back to being a child at the time and maybe not fully understanding the game and getting all worked up about different things. Was it was it was Kevin Keegan's last game. He was the idol every Liverpool fans idol i would say at the time especially especially young kids and it was his last game so the script was that he was going to score and win the European Cup wasn't he and yeah and obviously as, we, as we'll discuss later Bertie Votes played a part in preventing that and i think maybe maybe at that time as well and you you, you start to see this throughout the coverage of that game that that we weren't as unpatri- unpatriotic in those parts then as we are now maybe not quite so unpatriotic and um and I think maybe you sort of fallen into that sort of thing where Germany is still the enemy, I don't know. Like maybe older people are kind of still giving you that kind of impression around you because, I mean, it was, I'm really showing me ace now, it wasn't that long after the war in, in compared to, I mean, the war was more recent. The Second World War was more recent then than this game is to us now, you know, just yeah, to give an idea. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. And so there was that kind of thing like where it, it was very easy for the media and for and for people to paint the West Germans as as... Um, as villains because they were German, you know, and it's stupid to think how easily that you can fall into these traps and and totally miss the point. But but maybe maybe as a, a young child, I, I did a little bit, and that that was they were the enemy. But I think looking back at it now, it was they weren't sort of they were such a good well, you know, well cultured side. I mean we we kept them quiet as we know, like no doubt we'll discuss for a lot of the game, but they were such good footballers and the, and they weren't playing. There was no play acting, there was no sort of rolling around, feigning injury. There was, you know, it was played in the true spirit of the game, in my opinion. And that says a lot about what kind of people they were behind that side. I mean, Bonoff is one that that jumps out at me because that was just a name as well that you kept hearing whenever international games were being played. And I think that, that's the thing to remember, though, is that this was, you know, there was a lot of talk about times when Liverpool were almost like the English contingent were kind of, all internationals and so on and so forth, because that's how good Liverpool were at the time. I would say that you know a good chunk of this Munching gladback side were internationals are knocking on the door of a, of a squad that had just won the World Cup. So not you know they were not bad players. And of course, one one final thing to maybe add to this is that the reason that any of these teams are in this competition at that time is because they've won the domestic league or they've won the European Cup. You couldn't get into it by any other way
2: yeah and the format we'll we'll take a quick look at as well just before we get into the details of the match but before we do that um i do want to have a look at the reds lineup um with both of you and you know maybe we can we can dwell on this a little bit as well but, you know, the big news is that there's no uh, John Toshak, who we, the aforementioned um, partnership with Keegan was is is, is legendary. Uh, the big man, little man thing, um, of course, a whole lot more to it than that. Um, but we start with Ray Clements, um, Philip O'Neill, as uh, Barry Davies like to call him, <laughs> uh, at right back, and Joey Jones on the other side. Um, of course, the predecessor to Alan Kennedy, who also has quite a role to play in Liverpool's European Cup history, Tommy Smith, uh, Emily Hughes, uh, Ray Kennedy, uh, Jimmy Case, Ian Callaghan, uh, Terry McDermott, Steve Highway and Kevin Keegan. Holy shit. Uh, quite a lot of wonderful footballers there. And on our bench, we've got David Fairclough, Peter McDonald, David Johnson, Alan Waddle, and Alec Lindsay. Um, not so many names there that are going to jump out at people. That most will be familiar with David Johnson as having a sort of a... Uh, a, a bit part uh, career at the club and David Fairclough for his incredible interventions from the bench more often than not. It's not for no reason he got the name Super Sub. And again, that may come in in our little discussion about the format and how we got here. Uh, but to go back t- to you on this a little bit, Dave. Um, all these names roll off the tongue, but isn't it really beautiful thing to sit down? And you know someone who I'm lucky enough to 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 be followed by on Twitter, like Jimmy Case, who you know was a is, is a name for a lot of people of a certain age. Mm. Uh, and then you put the game to the name, and you see what a wonderful footballer Jimmy Case was. And that's just one example. We all know the big names, or to watch how good Emlyn Hughes was, or to watch. Uh, the, the, the mobility of of Phil Neal and, and think, okay, there's nothing new under the sun, really is there? Mm. All of these things are are, are just I'm, i I got such a buzz out of watching this I, I this is why I'm looking forward to doing this series it's 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 beautiful to look at how much things have changed and haven't at all
3: yeah, a hundred percent and you know it's, when you go through the names in this Liverpool team, I mean you're talking about arguably the greatest goalkeeper we've ever had before Trent. Probably the best right back we ever had. A man that won four European Cups, Tommy Smith, an, an iconic Liverpool defender, the Anfield Iron, that one of the hardest players ever. But when you go back and watch the game, y- you realise he wasn't just a hard man. Like this lad could actually play yeah. as well. Like he could carry the ball. He could ping a pass. Emlyn Hughes was one of the very first footballing Rolls Royces. I mean, there was literally nothing he couldn't do. He was just outstanding. Keegan is one of the greats we've ever had. Highway, especially for Irish fans like ourselves, Highway was a name you always grew up hearing. And, you know, about his his ability to beat a man and the goals he scored and created. Ian Callaghan, obviously a, a record appearance holder. Terry McDermott was an iconic player for years. And it was more when he played next to Souness that that, that was really the midfield combo. But you mentioned Jimmy Case. And I mean, again, he had this reputation as being this really tough guy, like a real hard man on the right side, but was a fantastic player as well. Like had everything to his game and that combination and understanding that he had with those players around him and, that's really the thing that's that stuck out to me watching this game was how in tune our players were with each other, how well connected they all seemed to be. And, and credit to the Germans as well. They were exactly the same. You could tell these were groups of lads that had played a lot of football together and really understood each other and were quite close-knit as a group because they were prepared to go to war for each other. And I mean, there's just there's so much about this team of ours here that you have to fall in love with. I mean, there's just there's so many great players. there's there's something nice as well about the fact that the sixteen lads and fourteen of them are English. And I know like you know that might not mean a lot to people, but the fact that it was kind of a homegrown team. You had Steve Highway as well, who was obviously English born, played for Ireland, and Joey Jones as a Welshman. It, you know, there, there's something about that. I've always looked at, say, Celtic's European Cup winning team and thought, isn't that an incredible thing? Like they were all born within a certain distance of Celtic Park. But even this, seeing like an entirely, you know, British and Irish team, it, it is something that does give you a nice little bit of pride about what
0: we used to be able
3: to create.
0: You' weren't know, big as any a, signings a, either. That's, that's the other thing. No, you
3: know, that's you, the thing. I mean, Clem, Clement, with, Keegan, was, yeah. Clem and Keegan came from you no know, lower leagues. Emlyn Hughes. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, Emlyn Hughes, when, when we signed him from Blackpool, and there's that famous uh, story about him and Shankly in the car driving back to Liverpool, and they get stopped by the police, and Shankly goes to the policeman. Do you not know who that is? that's the next captain of England. <laughs> and like just like this, there's all these great stories about these players. And Emlyn is someone we lost far too early. He died at 57. But, you know, these iconic figures, these wonderful men who had wonderful careers and did amazing things and really put our club that we adore so much, they put it on the map. for For many of us who aren't from from the Liverpool area who aren't local supporters and got our our fanship through or our fandom through our our fathers or whatever, Like it, it was largely because of these players that our parents fell in love with the club or that we fell in love with the club. The success that they had, the profile they raised the club to. My dad, for example, was always a massive Jimmy Case fan. Always. I saw this game in the late 80s for the first time. My dad has, I don't know if he still has them. Um, he, he had VHS of all those old European Cup finals, including ones that we weren't in. If the, if the European Cup final was on the TV, he was recording it and it went into his little collection. And uh, he, he showed me this game. I was only a kid. And he literally talked over the game the whole way. I didn't hear one bit of commentary because he commentated the game because he just watched it. Endlessly, because he was fascinated by this team, fascinated by Case, by Highway, by Keegan, and he loved them. The news, so yeah, this this was something I grew up hearing about was this team.
2: You know, Jim. Again, as the 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 older heads, <clears throat> we're probably just straddling that that generation who, you know, grew up with the Shankly era, uh, you know, were were more Paisley, uh, Paisley babies. Uh but to be fair as well, it it, it 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 there's a there's a tribute in this. You know, you I think it was you or Dave mentioned earlier on that this is Liverpool are the only the third British team. Um, to win uh, the European Cup here um, after uh, Celtic and United did it back-to-back 67, 68, isn't that right? Unless I'm mistaken. That's right, yeah. um, and that's a big gap, right? That's a big gap. And here's Liverpool doing what they do. And for all the majesty of the Shankley era, um, here is an awful lot of the, uh, of, of of players who, who were wonderful for him uh, coming to the fore and doing this thing um, after his time at the club under Bob Paisley. Uh, And it won't be for the last time, as we know. In fact, only one year later, they're at it again. Um, But there's something something just magical about this era. And you tend to forget things. Like, for example, when Liverpool won the double under Kenny. This real Roy of the Rovers thing that happens in 85-86. Uh, where, you know, he's the one getting the goal that wins the league and, and then they get the league and cup double and it's it's bananas. And you forget because you forget the monumental nature of these things because bugger all people had done the double up until then. Mm. Um, yeah. So here is a club putting the first big red footprint on the European map. We're back at the first one here, Jim. You know, we've had... Very recent feelings of utter devastation that we haven't added to the the hall and made it number seven, but this is right back at the start. This is the very first, like I say, um, click on the on on the pad. For all the majesty of that Shankly era, this is absolutely monumental in the history of our club, and. In the existence of it as it currently stands under under Klopp, even this is such a massive moment. And just before we get into the details of the match, you know, my, I know you were aware of this. and We should just actually just as as you're the only one who was, we should just get a little bit of that off you. Um, like I say, one year later, I'm starting to become aware of what's going on, and 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 my my hero worship of Kenny is is cemented by him getting the winner against Bruges. But well, I know you had a, a level of awareness about this as it was
0: happening. What, 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 what are those memories for? What they are? I think I think this is like these the are kind of my earliest memories of being a fan. I've got a vague memory that I might have even potentially made it, which is probably my earliest memory, which was an uncle of mine. He was sort of my, my favorite uncle, you know, the youngest uncle you've got kind of thing. He's yeah, and he, the one you can just talk to, he just sort of understands you that kind of thing. And I was only really little, and I remember him. I'm sure I remember him sitting on the front step front doorstep with me for some reason and telling me how important it was that Bill Shankly was leaving and I didn't understand because I kind of only knew players I didn't really get managers as much because I mean they weren't as as noticeable as he was in the press as opposed to a young kid he wasn't quite doing the Jurgen Klopp running up and down the touchline thing so you maybe I didn't really realise what he was that's a very vague memory but then another memory is same uncle telling me that when we just lost the FA Cup and how gutted I was about that and it was you know it's the biggest match in in britain's almost in a way because the way it just takes over the tv north of the border obviously they get the scottish cup final but even so it's that it was always the cup final day big day and we went and lost against man united and i was devastated and he just said to me look that trophy's great if you win it but it's nothing nothing compared to what we're going for on wednesday and he just sort of got it over to me how big it was and so that that is a key memory that you know that that was someone who was kind of explaining things to me a little bit and sort of, you know, teaching me more about about the game, other than this thing you do in as kids when you're just running around the playground reenacting games or whatever. And that, you know, you're getting a bit of a serious idea about things. And, and that's when I, I just remember that and thinking, right, okay. And we won it. And it was, it, in a way, it should make us realise how lucky we are to have seen, and I think most people listening to this will have seen us win at least a couple of European Cups. Even if we've not, you know, out of the six in total, most people will have seen us win at least a couple. Yet the fact is that is still such an achievement to do it even today, even though the format's changed and all the rest of it. It's a massive achievement to win it. To win it back then, it was, as you say, two of the British sides had won it, Celtic and Man United. It was it was almost a monopoly, if you like. There was a couple of clubs almost that are practically winning it all the time. To go abroad, then to go all the way to Rome as well—that was unprecedented. As Bob Paisley would later say, the last time he was in Rome, we was in a tank. It's, it's, <laughs> it's—you know—it's—it's it's just a big thing. I mean, it wasn't like you didn't just jump on an easy jet. You know, everything about it was was so different to what we're used to today. But this is what laid the foundations. It's, it's those those players had kind of, as you say, they evolved from what Bill Shankly had brought to us. There was, um, there was a we we went close with Shankly, other than. I think it was in the semi-final against Inter Milan, some very questionable refereeing decisions and accusations of envelopes with stuff full of cash being passed around. I mean, it it wouldn't have been a surprise at the time the decisions were so bad, but we did miss out under Shanks and he never quite got us there. But I think this is what Bob Paisley did. He took us up that level, he took us up that step. He built on what had already been done. He didn't destroy anything. You know, he used those foundations and, and tweaked things and added to things and just gave us that belief. I mean, you you know how good Bill Shankly was at putting belief into plays, and I'm sure Bob Paisley was the same. Humble man, different way of going about it, but those players knew they were good. They weren't arrogant with it, but they knew they were good and they knew what they could do. And this, the, the whole nation was waiting, though, and you get that through the commentary. You get that through the commentary. It's so weird listening to that now, listening to a commentator willing the British team on. Whereas, I don't know, today's generation well we talk about them too much but today's generation of commentators wouldn't be they'd be trying to pretend to be neutral all the yeah. time hoping to see us lose it's it's a different time and you know the world's a shithole now to be quite honest isn't it in many ways but, <laughs> you know and i'm not sure and it wasn't great then in a lot of ways either but there were so many little qualities from back then that you look at now and you think god just be nice to have them back i mean i'm not saying go around and be all british if you live in britain i'm just more saying just you know See where you've got stuff in common with other people, and you know, wish them well a bit, a little bit more, because um, at that time, that's what was happening. There was that, you know. I, I do feel the whole nation was behind us, and I think that still applies now more than people let on. I don't think we're as hated on by as some people think we are. It's just the loud ones on social media that make it feel that way. But yeah, the, 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 co- the sorry, Dave, go ahead. Go Twitter on, go does
3: give, sorry, I was just going to say, Twitter does give people a very skewed view on you know what people's feelings are i i do think like jim said there's like a lot of loud morons who are all about 14 years of age on twitter who say stupid things just to get likes and retweets and you get other fucking mindless idiots who'll just go and like and retweet any old shit because they they think tribalism is a real thing but i, I like jim said i don't think the the general feeling towards Liverpool is anything like what what it's made out to be it's not like in the say in the 90s in the early 2000s when you know the the whole ABU anybody but United uh, movement began and everybody did kind of want United to lose but it wasn't that you hated them you just you know they were the dominant force and with any dominant force you kind of wanted to see them get knocked off and I think we would later become a, a little bit like that as we went on and added more European cups. But certainly at this time, I do think because Shankly was so beloved and so held in such high regard by other managers and they spoke so glowingly about him. I mean, when, when he retired, Brian Clough said he was the one manager he really respected and, you know, other managers said similar things and that, carried a lot of weight with certain fan bases and they they did throw their lot behind Liverpool uh, in this game and like Jim said as well it's also the fact that it was against the Germans and there was definitely still some uh, harbouring of, of resentment against the Germans I can remember in the 1990 World Cup um, being quite struck during the the England-Germany game by the commentary and the view of, you know, the Germans as the bad guys and England as these, you know, lily-white, you know, team that you should support. And and this was 13 years before that.
2: Yeah, the, the cultural stuff is fascinating. And when you do one of these flashback matches... And like I say, hopefully this will be the first of a of, of a good lot uh, that we'll do over the summer. And one of the things that uh, it just it occurred to me as I was listening to 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 Jim speak there was, you know, Barry Davies goes on about how several times in the commentary about how um, dominant the red support is and how it's almost complete in the stadium. And you know, just to piggyback on what Jim was saying, you know. Plus, I uh, changed. Plus, I uh, remained the same. Really, because like, like, look, look at, look at uh, uh, the dominance of the Liverpool supporters, and think about how much more difficult it was for each of those lads to get there. You were talking about planes and trains and automobiles, and very few freaking planes. If we're being honest, you are talking about lads trekking across Europe, um, in in cars and t- and and, and lifts and 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 doing anything, uh, getting little bu- buses together. the the determination of reds fans to get there is remarkable and you know you know we have very very poignant recent echoes of uh reds fans in europe and their dedication um not always in fact far too often on the losing side in european cup finals of late um but also you can see the the, that culture remains, and that 's nice to see there was five hundred million viewers, according to Baz, watching this game <laughs> across fifty two countries and you know again that 's a cultural thing there 's basically only this game has only been watched in fifty two countries uh, and 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 of that uh, fifty two countries they could they could accrue five hundred million viewers and again you 're reminded this thing i 've been saying to anyone who'll ever listened to me this is the biggest game in the world. this is the biggest game in the world and there we are there's some weird again speaking of cultural chat and moving into the game a bit here lads some weird sort of attitude old fashioned attitudes towards injuries it, kind of encapsulated by the commentary um a one stage uh, barry says uh, uh, barry davies says that simmonson you know he's only got lumbago, uh, you know, it's not really, he might be, he kind of gives the idea he might be putting it on, but does he, the, it might have been played up, I think, his back injury. Heinkes is, is carrying a cartilage injury. Not really a word about about uh, what how much damage that might be doing. It just Barry says, well, he had to play. Um, this type of thing is very, very interesting, and 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 and, and there is we have to acknowledge the differences uh, in in the culture of the game. Dave mentioned earlier on lads kicking the 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 bejesus out of each other. You could get away with a lot. There's a reason we're not mentioning the referee here because nobody really gave a shit about referees back then. They were almost sort of incidental. Um, and they only came into it if, like in 1965,
0: they were given horrendous decisions, which which led to us going out of the European Cup. But one, based- one, one, one thing I saw the referee do was, was make a bad decision on the throwing when he was stood right over it. And I'm thinking... Today we'd have just been complaining about VAR and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The referee, he was actually on. I mean, it must have looked. It must have been out because he was right next to it. Referees don't bother doing that nowadays. They wait in the middle, don't they, and pretend they saw what happened. So, yeah, maybe even referees could look back at this and have a bit of a lesson. A hundred percent. And that's, that's what's fascinating about looking
2: at these slight little cultural differences. Again, a fella has a little tweak of any sort. Now, you know, there's, there's a, he's nearly airlifted out of the stadium. It's just a weird, it's a cultural thing. There was, football was a harder game played by harder fellas. And there was a real sort of like the Shankly embodiment of it, where if you were injured, he was almost angry with you and you certainly didn't exist. Um and your knee
0: is Liverpool's knee
2: etc. Yeah, exactly. Not, yeah. 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 So to get into it a little bit, Jim, and we'll just go up as far as the first goal, which uh, is by Terry Mack. Um, there's there's some some fantastic stuff going on, but one of the early features is. Uh, Kevin Keegan wearing a Bertie Votes suit for much of the game Uh, he's right up Keggy's hoop for most of this Uh, you know another cultural thing Barry Davies mentions that Liverpool have watched Borussia Dortmund four times and I'm thinking oh wow amazing you know this day and age you know we've probably been watching what the caretaker does when he goes home Uh, you know that's how different the level of prep is and, and, and availability ability of of info. Um, We're in our 13th consecutive season in Europe, and the first big chance in the game happens where there's a Ray Kennedy snapshot tipped over by the German keeper, and then Bonhoeff hits the post from distance a few minutes later, uh, very much against uh, the run of play at that point. They had to replace Wimmer um, early on in the first half as well, and that's obviously a blow for them international that he is. Um, again, in passing, as we're kind of going over and back with, with stuff, Davies mentions that the Reds had lost 11 of the 63. I think this might have been the 64th games that they played over the course of the season. And again, it sticks in your craw. You're thinking about <laughs> Liverpool's current reality. And how could you possibly yeah. consider being this successful and losing fucking 11 games? And before you know it, anyway, we get to the first goal. It's a Bloody peach, Jim. And I'll obviously bring you in on this as well, Dave. It's Terry McDermott. I think it started by an interception by Callahan, which is a bit of play that we're all too familiar with under Klopp. That launches the move, which ends basically with Highway doing some absolutely gorgeous uh, uh bit of bits of work. He cuts in from the right, which is an atypical position for him to be in, and slides through this peach of a through ball to McDermott, who's moving from left to right and finishes beautifully back across himself. It's a bloody gorgeous goal that is would not be atypical. This is what I loved about it, right? There's a a, a a foot in, an interception in the midfield where the play is, you know, like like we do now. Uh, it comes to one of our playmakers who does his thing and it goes to one of our finishers who does his thing. And I was just thinking, you know, the similarities between that goal and, and, and some of the best ones we score these days was wonderful. Anything about that opening section and that goal you want to talk about,
0: Jim? Yeah, I mean, that, that opening section, I mean, one thing I, I wrote down as a note is what on earth was the Borussia uh, Gladback goalkeeper wearing, and I think he was maybe hoping for a role <laughs> in Space 1999 or something, some, some kind of sci-fi thing with what he had on, this kind of weird tracksuit and goalkeeping top. That, I mean, even at the time, it didn't look right, so it wasn't, you know, it's not a fashion thing. It's like, wh- where did you get that from? But maybe it was a bet. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, it was, what else did I kind of look at? It was prior to that there was just little signs of like Tommy Smith just sort of so similar to what you get nowadays where Liverpool kind of on the attack and Liverpool have kind of got most of the ball and it's mostly in the other 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 side's half and then there's a bit of a danger comes along and Tommy Smith sniffs out the danger gets the ball gets it away and off, off we go again on another wave of attack and and that 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 was just one one moment I remember from that bit of the game watching that that so similar to today that you know, you you're an attacking team. You you first and foremost, aim is to is to attack, is to score goals. But the lads at the back of there to make sure that when when that's not quite worked out, you can get it back, recycle, and get back on again, get back to what you do and what you do best. And it's just you know, it was great great to see that and great to remember that. And as as Dave mentioned earlier on, there's this reputation that the likes of Tommy Smith and Jimmy Case have of been hard men, and and maybe maybe Roy Keane gets that a bit as well. That all that people remember is these tough tackles these this hard man image but you know you would not be on that pitch with those teams if you didn't have something more to your game because you know without being funny anyone can go around kicking people but you know you've got to be more you've got to have more to it than that and it and i do think it's a shame sometimes that, that players like case and smith don't get remembered no. properly i mean it's great i mean the hard man reputation is all well and good i'm sure it did them some good in after dinner the speaking and things like that but you know remember them for what they were they were good cultured players who who knew how to pass the ball could read the game and you know took orders from 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 geniuses that were managing the team and coaching the team so they, they were such a key part and another key part in terms of the goal was Ian Callahan. I think it was him that won the ball off Bonhoff yeah he found highway highway found McDermott and it was just that whole move and again I think that's where the telepathy comes out as well in some ways that you know Callaghan wins the ball, we're back on the attack. Highway, without messing, without worrying about... I mean, he was another player who was quite heavily marked through that game as well. And without worrying or waiting or, or stalling or dithering, he just knew almost certainly that it was worth having a quick look to see if, if Matt Dermot was making that run, and he was. But even when he got the ball, Terry Mackie still had work to do. And he was another player who, if you ever get to watch old games, you'll see moments after moments of just sublime skill Um almost cheeky in the way he scores his goals. And that was one of them. You know, that put us in front. And it felt like, I can just remember at the time, I just couldn't, you know, I I can remember celebrating vaguely, but it it got us on the way. I mean, 1-0, European Cup final. Dave won 0 European Cup final.
2: To just do a retrospect of that first half with, with anything extra that you want to mention or anyone, any one extra you want to mention, uh, part altogether from incidents, if there are. I'm just going to, f- I'm just going to frame it up by the only other cultural p- reference point that I wanted to mention was. Uh, Barry Davies was getting very nervous a couple of times as the German Ooh. keeper was coming out punching the ball. And again, yeah. I, I was reminded how weird it was yeah. back then. Even when I was a kid, like, you don't punch the ball. No. It was a sign you of weakness. So yeah. You catch the ball. And 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 now it's such an art, like, that we've got the likes of Ali, you can punch a ball 30, 40 yards and get it clear. But it, it was just another little thing. So, sorry, uh, first half retrospective from you, anything you want to pick out?
3: Just on that punching thing, I think it was... Peter Schmeichel might have changed that perception a bit because before that, it was always that knock on continental goalkeepers. You know, they punched the ball. When when you'd be getting punditry before a game and it was obviously quite rudimentary because they didn't have access to the amount of footage that we have now. I mean, you guys said, you know, Liverpool watched th- them four times before this game. A random fan can watch a team... 20 times before we play them now because of the, the access to, f- to footage we have. Whereas, you know, back then the club could only see them four times. Um, so the punditry was quite basic and rudimental before, or rudimentary beforehand. And it would be things like that, you know, like he, he punches on crosses and that was seen as a weak point. But what strikes me as well is their keeper is wearing, as Jim said, some sort of costume. Ray Clemens isn't even wearing gloves. He's not even wearing gloves. Their their keeper's got a big old set of fucking space mitts on him. And Ray (laughs) Clemens is just there, bare hands, little shorts. And he's just like, yeah, this is what I wear to play. And again, it it kind of is the difference. But, I mean, you guys mentioned the goal. and We've seen that goal. We've seen that goal time and again in the last six years. That's Bobby the point. wins the ball back. Bobby feeds Salah. Salah with the slip ball. Mane makes the run and beats the. We've seen that goal over and over again, and I remember watching it last night and thinking, "Jesus, that's that's Bobby to, Sa- to Salah to to Sadio. That's the yeah. goal we've seen. It's, it's a popular like goal. Again. It a is, and, goal, yeah. and that's the thing, like." You know, a lot of people get themselves so worked up over gagging pressing, and isn't it amazing? And you're watching a game from the '70s, and we're doing the same thing. It's yeah. just that it wasn't called that. I mean, Jack Charlton had Ireland doing this in the '80s. We just called it putting them under pressure. That's what yeah. it was. And, and it's when you yes, put them under pressure and
0: you've won the ball. What What do you do next? And that's what. What
3: do you do then? That That yeah. quick turnover, that transition. How aggressive you are in transition and. Obviously now there's there's a lot more science to it as well, and there's a lot more planning that goes in in terms of you know if certain players get the ball, that's a trigger to press, or you lose the ball, that's a trigger to press. Things like that. There's a lot more scientific research that goes into it now, but I mean, the the basics of it are are evident just by watching this game, and that that goal is it's a thing of beauty, and and like Jim said, Terry Mack, I mean that guy made that run three and four times every single game. He made that run knowing that someone will get him the ball at some point.
2: We're just going to stop here and acknowledge that we may sound slightly different, slightly different quality of sound on all of us, perhaps because at this point in the recording, first time around yesterday, we had some discord gremlins who came in and made a a bit of a mess the last 20 minutes of the show so we're going to pick it up now obviously the flow is going to be a little bit different we'll apologize in advance if we're repeating ourselves on anything we've already said in the first half but we're going to try and cobble this together and finish it out so we've just left off i think discussing that first goal so Gemma i'm going to just ask you to do a sort of uh, a recap on the first half as a more general experience because when we're we got an opportunity to do this uh show and i think we all three of us really enjoyed the actual act of watching the game in full, and one of the one of the the, the real pleasing aspects of it in this era of clean digital sound is the atmosphere that we associate with that, you know, almost like I think you called earlier on phone line commentary, mm-hmm. where there has it has that distance, that crackle to it. And I don't know about you, man, but that adds something to the whole atmosphere as well. Maybe a little bit like what people feel that they can hear when they put vinyl on, that type of thing. Uh, maybe the older the better if there's still a few cracks and crackles. It just adds to that whole atmosphere. And, you know, I, I think that was really a big part of for me. It was the nostalgia for something that I barely remember in terms of those
0: type of production qualities. Yeah, and I think, I think the, the telephone line quality, obviously highly compressed audio that they can get across, probably is going down the phone line of sorts. ISDN maybe wasn't invented then. And, I mean, that is how, how radio sounded to me as well, because a lot of these European games, you didn't have live TV up until the final for the European cup. So you, you get to stay up maybe and watch it on sports night later on, but to actually experience it live. It, it, well, with me, it was generally speaking Clive Tilsley on Radio City on a radio, sitting in the kitchen, listening to that. And it, and it, if it was an away game, it would sound like it was coming down a phone line. And that is part of that atmosphere. That is that, as you say, like vinyl and um, like, like smells bring back memories and things like that. But that sort of sound of someone's voice in that, sort of distant where you knew that they were far away, you knew it was something special this wasn't a, a match being played in Stoke or or Birmingham or something, this was a game being played in some exotic place overseas and the fact, the fact that we had all that tied in with those red and white checkered flags in the crowd that they kept switching to they kept showing us those to show us the fans were celebrating, for some reason there weren't a lot of fans on the far side, there's a thing now with TV where they'll they'll kind of if the ground's not full they, try, they sort of sell the seats that are on telly first and then you don't see what's behind the cameras as much. You know, that that stand might be empty, but you'll hardly see that because you make it look good for TV. But for this game, the, the stand in the distance looked really empty on the bottom row. And Barry Davies commented that the way he was talking was there weren't any German fans in there. And that's because all the noise was coming from the Liverpool fans. And I don't know if we've mentioned it once, but, um, the, a quote Barry Davis came out with music to British ears, both the play and the noise of the supporters, because that Liverpool were just playing so well. The crowd were behind them. There was all the singing. I mean, and there is a Liverpool anthem at one point you can hear You'll Never Walk Alone just playing, you know, casually in the middle of the game almost, which you don't know, tend to hear quite as much in the same way now. We we, we sing all the other songs and we kind of almost save that. But my God, this was a European Cup final and we were on our way to getting our first ever win in the thing. So, that was a special occasion if ever you're going to have one, but it was by half time, it was just one of those games that you just think, you know, we, we've got this. I mean, I, I think if we sat and watched it now and we didn't know the score, we'd be thinking that looking at that at halftime that this is Liverpool have got this, this this is thirst to throw away. The other side just, just aren't really getting near us apart from that Simonson effort. Of course, that's the thing about football, isn't it? One goal leads are never, and never enough. And, You know, I think as much as I'm saying that we'd be all confident, we'd all be thinking, but let's get a second goal early on. Let's not let's not give them any any sniff of a chance. Let's not let them tweak the tactics. But the the overall thing, the fact that those fans had got there, they travelled over probably in broken down coaches or coaches that broke down on the way. At least that they, you know, they're travelling in cars. I mean, cars didn't run forever like they do nowadays. I mean, taxi drivers. Could nowadays can drive a car that's been around the clock three or four times, can't they? But I think back then they had to change them a bit more often. They wouldn't reach the end of the clock back then. So that was a, that was an adventure for those Liverpool fans to get there. And what they got, what they got served up, was something that that you wouldn't be grudgy your journey there when you saw what you saw.
2: A hundred percent. And as if to, 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 to you know, emphasize uh, the point that you made and also to uh, emphasize the sense of uh, not giving them an early chance, uh, well, we go and do the opposite. But thanks to um, Andrew Beasley on Tompkins Times, which they've uh, sourced for me there because my notes disappeared as another little complication. Um, We can see that in that first half, in that first 45 minutes, uh, Liverpool had five shots to Borussia Mönchengladbach's four, three on target for the Reds, uh, and one each taken in the box. Four chances created for Liverpool as opposed to their one. So yeah, you're right in talking about the dominance that we had in that first half and that very much being manifested by the fans. But if you and I just start our review of the second half, it is a bit low key in those opening uh, 10, 15 minutes, uh, but then things kick off a little bit. Uh, there's, uh, we spoke about this yesterday, a little bit of, uh, you, yeah, I remember talking to you about this. They have it down here as a defensive error by Jimmy Case. It's a misplaced pass or it's a pass that's intercepted. Uh, and, you know, yesterday you went on uh, uh, to, to great lengths to say, well, listen, Jimmy, don't feel too bad about it because you're just trying to advance the play. Yeah. But it's the, you know, it's, it, if you're, what we do with Raw is we're always looking for the reasons for things. So that is it. Uh, Simonson breaks in. Uh, Jim, this goal is outrageous. Uh, he breaks in on the left-hand side of the box. He's got no angle to speak of. Uh, and he blasts a shot past Ray Clements, which in and of itself is quite the achievement. With such ferocity and accuracy, uh, such audacity, it's a beautiful goal. And really is testament to a player that I think we've mentioned already in the early part of the show is... It was
0: something special. It was, and I think I mean, what I was trying to get across with, with Jimmy Casey's error was that it's very easy to kind of look at an error and look at a mistake and say, my God, if you hadn't done that, we wouldn't have conceded this goal. But sometimes, you know, you, you've got to be adventurous. You, Liverpool now and Liverpool then are a team that are looking to attack, looking to win. Uh, you know, that, that's what we are. We're not a defensive side. We weren't then, we weren't now. It's not part of what we are, Roy Hodgson. And so we wanted, we wanted to get goals. We wanted to attack. You make these mistakes, but the truth is the mistake shouldn't have led to a goal. And I think if it had gone to any other player on any other day, even to this player, maybe not on one of his best days, that wouldn't have been a goal. And that's the thing is, I think it's far too easy to sort of dwell on the negatives instead of looking at the positives and look at the good. You know, rather than always jump to criticise someone who's made a mistake, we don't emphasise enough to praise people who've done well. And we're guilty of that ourselves more often than not. It's just kind of maybe become our second nature. But this was it wasn't an easy chance. It wasn't a chance on its own. It was almost in fact it was one of those efforts that you quite often see just goes stupidly over the bar and you think, Why did you do that? We've we can all think of our favourite Liverpool player in recent years who's done that type of thing to us once too often in the game that we're chasing. But that wasn't the case here. It was just it was a, a wonderful goal. The angle as well, I mean, I don't know how we got it in. I mean this this was before the days of these you know, this was the uh, adidas tango i'm not sure that it, it swears quite the way that the more modern ball does so again just a little bit more of an emphasis on the class that was in that finish
2: yeah it is the, the, those that era of the 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 black and white just previous to the tango thing it's the black and white check panels yes, yes oh exactly. dude what what a football that was probably for me just by the by the tango uh is the ultimate i actually i bought one a couple of years ago and put it on a shelf it hasn't even been <laughs> hasn't even been kicked it's just a tribute to uh, what i always used to idolize as the greatest football ever and dave just to move on a little bit with it um this opening spell, and by the way I'm just saying this out loud so that maybe, I don't know, maybe Guy if you want to think about this but we should supply the link the youtube link when we're uh, pushing this show later on so people can go watch it if for nothing else then for that fantastic the great match theme tune at the very start of it holy shit if that doesn't put you in the mood for a bit of nostalgia i don't know what will uh but uh, just you know just sort of uh, delightfully awful example of the stuff that used to go uh before uh, news programs and sports programs back in the day uh, but in this open just in the immediate aftermath of that goal that great Simonson goal Dave it could have slipped away from the Reds because there are at least two decent chances uh, that Mönchengladbach could carve out Simonson involved in one uh Jupp Heinke nearly on the end of another mm. uh, and we relied on uh, if I recall correctly at least one of them we relied on, on uh, Ray Clemens doing his proto-Ali bit uh, to uh, get us out of a bit of bother and you know I think that needs to be acknowledged here because in the end we win 3-1 or whatever but you know you were a pains to talking yesterday when we were doing the, the opening part of this about how good they are and you know testament to them uh, the game could have easily swung in the opposite direction in this period
3: oh without doubt I mean this is this is a tremendous team that we've played this is not just some you know random bunch of scrubs that we that fluked their way to this final this is a great team coming off having won a, three Bundesliga titles in a row. Um, The Simonson goal, the angle and the way he hit it reminded me of Fowler at Old Trafford against Schmeichel. Now, he puts it in the far corner whereas Schmeichel put it in the near top corner, or Fowler put it in the near top corner. Simonson shoots across the goal. But, I mean, it's a great goal by a great player and he's beaten a great goalkeeper in that instant. And then, like... Like you've said, we need that great goalkeeper then to come up trumps for us then over the next sort of fifteen minutes, where we are really under the cosh here. And as any time you play a top team, they're going to have a spell where they're the better team in a game, where they're the dominant team in a game. And all we could do here was really just hang on and clear our lines, hope that the keeper performed when needed and try and inch our way back into it. And eventually that's what we do, obviously. But there is this this spell in the game where it looks like the game will slip away from Liverpool. And if you were watching it without knowing the outcome, I think you'd watch that, that spell after the Simonson goal and think Liverpool are in major trouble here.
2: I A mean, spe- one- spell, Dave, where... We're, we're- not to get too sort of grandiose about it, but you could have a little bit of a, a history rewrite here because if we don't get that first big years over the over the line, maybe 78 doesn't happen. Mm. You know, maybe 81 doesn't happen. Maybe 84 doesn't happen. Who knows what impact that has, you know?
3: Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is this is our first European Cup. That's why I wanted to do this game. And obviously, like I said, the, the Mane-Keegan thing just was something that stood out to me as well. But, This is our first one. This is the one that establishes us as a top European team. And we spoke about it yesterday. I mean, to get into this competition, you had to win your domestic league or be the defending European Cup champions. And it was the elite of the elite. And as I said yesterday, I mean, not only is this the first time we win the European Cup, it's also the year in which. The famous Anfield comebacks begin. Sendetian in the quarterfinals is one of our very famous comebacks. That's that incredible Sendetian team with Platini, if I'm not mistaken. So you're talking about Liverpool setting the foundations for everything that was to follow in Europe in terms of winning this competition, in terms of having. The, the mythical Anfield atmosphere and the ability to come back and win games when it looks like we're dead and buried. It looks like we have no chance. So this this game really does set the foundation. Uh, I'm wrong. Platini wasn't in that team. He was still at Nancy at the time. Um, but, you know, this game sets the foundation for so much more that follows that it is, it is a seminal point in our history.
2: You know that seminal point in our history gets underlined because instead of going two one down, which we could easily have done in this period, we go two one up, and it's that most straightforward of things—a set piece goal, a Steve Highway corner, uh, a Tommy Smith finish uh, from uh, f- from it with a blunder bust of a, a header. It's fantastic. Um, there's a good line here actually uh, from Barry Davies in the commentary where he says. Uh, let me just get it here. If you've got a bad knee, Tommy Smith is not the player to play <laughs> against. And, you know, like again, uh, we, 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 I think it was in the part that we actually managed to retain when we talked about the likes of case and Smith, uh, Dave mm. and how they had this reputation as being tough nuts and all the rest of it. But you, you there's, there's finesse there too. And the execution oh, yeah. of this, the execution of this header is, is wonderful. And, uh, you know, it's, it's <laughs> clearly, uh, a massive, massive moment in Liverpool's history. Uh, that can be traced back to Stevie Highway and Tommy Smith, Heather, and it's the fifth corner of the game, seven in total in the game, all of them to Liverpool. That in itself might speak to a little bit of the dominance that we had overall.
3: For sure, I mean, Steve Highway obviously involved in both goals. This is a, it. it's a lovely delivery, but it's kind of like a clipped delivery. There's, it there's no massive amounts of power on the cross. Tommy Smith generates the power, and I mean. You're talking about one of our original legendary players under Shankly, like a guy that came through the academy, a local boy, came through the academy, established himself in Liverpool's team for years, had actually lost his place at this point because he's at the tail end of his career. He's 32 at this stage. Phil Thompson is the starting centre-back. He's injured. Tommy Smith gets back in, makes it his own again scores this great goal, the timing of the run, the jump, and the power he generates in the header. And like there's just there's a lot of great Tommy Smith stories about, you know, Shankly saying to him when he was on crutches, you know, what what do you mean your knee hurts? That's not your knee, that's Liverpool's knee. Talking about how Tommy Smith wasn't born, he was quarried and all those great lines, but the guy could very much play football. He's a good passer, he could carry the ball very, very good player. And of course, he misses next year's Champions League final, the 78 one, or the European Cup final as it was, because he dropped an axe on his foot. <laughs> and um, it just, you know, I said this yesterday, obviously we lost it. Like, if Joel Matip dropped an axe on his foot and broke his toe and was ruled out for six weeks or whatever, you'd be like, what the fuck is he doing with an axe? Yeah. Why does he have an axe at any stage? But like these guys just lived quite different lives. They had to go and cut their own firewood, or whatever it was that Tommy Smith was doing with that axe. Maybe shaving with it. Who knows? <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> do
3: you know? Like just, just a, a very different time. And but for him, a guy that had been at the club from 15, had given everything for Liverpool, had been a foundational piece in Shankly's great team. To then get his moment, winning the European Cup, it's magnificent. He, like you know, he achieved so much at the club: four league titles, two FA Cups, two European uh, sorry, a European Cup and two UEFA Cups. Like what a career! And this is kind of the the crowning glory of it.
0: It's intentional, isn't it, to have that kind of player in and around your squad, that local guy, but not not just because he's local, because there's often a clamour that Liverpool don't have enough scouts in the squad from time to time. Well, there aren't enough good ones, and they're not going to be, but when you Mm. can get a good one, like we have now with Trent, as the the most recent example, then you want them in there, because whatever they've got as a footballer, there's just that extra little layer they add on because they're a local and because they're They care more. They do care
3: more. and like. I remember when we won the league and I remember seeing different stories about, oh, it means more to this player than anyone else in the dressing room. I'm thinking, this is absolute nonsense. Like, the player it will mean most to in that dressing room is Trent. And it Mm -hmm. won't even be close. And at the same time, you know, you go back to, to this game, it will have meant more to Tommy Smith than it will to any of the others. You know, because... He was the local lad. Well, Jimmy Case, as well, obviously, was a local lad. So, and he right. came through the academy. So, yeah, him as well. But again, like the, the two, the two that were often called, you know, hard men and, and not really given all the respect they deserved. Um, and Ian Callaghan, as well, obviously, was a local fellow as well. He's from Terry Mack. Some Terry Mack. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it, when you start thinking about it, you know, there's just, there's, there's that many of them. That are local fellows. That obviously Terry Mack had a different route to the club. He had to go and kind of cut his teeth elsewhere and then come yeah. back. But like, so for him, like that's the thing. These lads, it meant more to them. And winning the European Cup back then was was such an incredible achievement because, as as Trevor's mentioned, only two British teams had ever done this before. Only one English team, and it was quite a gap, obviously, from when United won it to when we win it like it's, what, 10 years. So, you know, it it wasn't something that happened regularly. Now, we're so used to seeing English teams win this competition or get to the final, but it all started really here. This was the start of the run. We win it, we win it again, Forrest win it twice, we win it, Villa win it, Hamburg win it, and then we win it again. So, like, in that run, there's one non-English team in what? Seven years, six years, seven years. England wins six out of seven, but we started that whole
2: run. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? There's a couple of things here. We'll take it. We'll take it home now in terms of the last little few bits of uh, last little incident of the match that's worth talking about, uh, Jim, you and I. But that point Dave makes about, about the different lives that people live. I think again in the in the context of this show, it's interesting to point those things out. Only seven years after this, uh, Jan w- told me that when he came over to the club. Uh, Bruce Grabler uh, arranged to meet him in the pub, because uh, I'm thinking I'm talking here about accessibility, about the lives that these guys led. They was completely different. They were just they were just blokes. Uh, They were accessible to everybody. So Jan arrives down at the pub. Uh, Bruce has a pint with him or suggests to have a point with him, gets him talking to a few locals. Next thing, Jan looks around two or three points in and Bruce is gone. Uh, and this is, this was like the sort of get to know, get to know the, the locals, get in with the local <laughs> place, find the pub where you know that kind of thing is so different, uh, to, to the, to, to the, uh, the experience that these guys have today. It's such a different scenario in so many ways culturally. But, but Jim, the last thing of note then. And again, this ties up a strand. Um, one of the the original concepts that, that 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 helped Dave choose this game particularly was the Sadio Mane angle. And here's our man about to go, Kevin Keegan. And he does have a moment of brilliance towards the end where uh, he has a fantastic run at goal. Real classic Keegan, you know, all style, all bustle, all action, but also uh, plenty of technique about it he's one of those low centre of gravity types uh, that we're all too familiar with in current Liverpool lineups like Sadio Mane, like Mo Salah uh, and, and several others that we've had Luis Suarez of late as well um, but as he drives towards goal Bertie Vogt uh, decides it's a good idea to upend them, and it's a penalty which Phil Neal or Philip Neal as Barry likes to call him <sighs> converts uh, and you know at this point uh, the game is done and dusted, and there's nothing really else of note to mention, except to say that, to be fair to uh Munch and Gladback, they do keep going at it. They don't lie down and give it up like you often saw in games back in the 70s and 80s, where if it was a done deal, it looked that way. Uh, they kept plugging away uh, to their credit. Uh, but, you know, that moment uh, for Phil Neal, uh, the start of like, you know, such a ridiculous run for that fella uh is really interesting because again he's one of the few people that Jan Malby will talk about when it comes to penalties with any reverence at all. He's very critical, as you might imagine, with his own excellence uh, of of very of of most other people who are taking penalties, but with Phil Neal the one he just says he just got the job done, which, you know, you can't argue with. And that is like a huge goal at that time because, again, balances can swing back. We've seen what these lads are capable of. He had to step up and do it. And the execution of it, Jim, is really simple. It's the instep across the face of goal from right to left into the side ringing. Uh, the keeper sort of staggering in the opposite direction, uh, but not to be sniffed at the coolness of that execution.
0: Yeah, and I think when you're taking penalties, I mean, it's... You can see we see so many penalties now as well, don't we? Because of shootouts. But you know the main thing is, is to get it on target and to get it as as much as you can out the reach of the keeper. And that's basically what he did. So I think if keepers did guess the right way, then they still got a job to do. But the keeper didn't guess the right way, and it was just it was it was just it was just cool, calm, and collected. I mean, it's it, it must have been a nerve wracking moment, even at two one up, because you kind of know that if you score, you've got it, you you pretty much got the cup in your bag in the bag. But you also know if you miss. It just gives the other side so much sort of, I don't know, impetus to go up the other end and to make you pay for that mistake. You know, you could just careers can be ruined in moments like that. But there was no sign of it. He just got up there and took it. I mean, I can remember my biggest disappointment about that was that Kevin Keegan was an idol at the time. Liverpool's number seven. You know, he was the player everybody went on about. He was the player every young Liverpool fan wanted to be. That that kind of thing. And we knew it was going to be his last game. We wanted him to go out with a goal. Bertie Boats took that off him. So, even though, you know, it, it didn't matter because cause he got the assist, he, he made us get the goal, he did his job, he got the cup and all the rest of it. I can remember feeling gutted for a long time afterwards about that. And I've probably still never forgiven Bertie for that, for what he did. But, you know, I think, you know, and I'm glad, and I'm glad to be honest, I'm glad that Phil Neal did take the penalty because I can't imagine in, in those days that Bob Paisley would have said, go on then, let Kevin take it while it's his last game. There's mm. no way. He was about being professional, about getting the job done. And it was just, again just just a perfectly taken penalty and for for a right back you know you can score goals so all these people who keep wanting Trent to move to midfield there's still ways of been uh, involved in a lot of goals and although Phil Neal did a lot of them from the spot it was you know he was part of the reason we won games was because of goals from players like him
2: As we draw to an end, I'll finish uh, with your final thoughts in a minute, Jim. Uh, Just before I go to you for yours, Dave, uh, again, thanks to this article which you dug up, we've got a memory there that I actually had made a note of yesterday, which is, as uh, Barry Davies is surveying the excited Liverpool fans uh, at the end of the match, he says, and again, this is a callback to something we talked about, about this weird era where there was actually a little bit of... uh, our oh, joy to be taken in the success of somebody from the same country he says just look at that it makes you proud that's the word and you you know it's it's it again a, a little little cultural change that i just wanted to flag up uh, which you know, it might be nice if we could sort of it, it, maybe make our way back towards some of that uh, magnanimous, magnanimous sort of attitude. But uh, to finish with you then, Dave, just let's let's uh, draw a line under this uh, particular match and this particular show. Your takeaways then, your final thoughts, your wrap-ups for it.
3: Yeah, I think like the lack of tribalism at the time was a great thing. Most of it comes from social media, but this thing, I've been happy when an English team loses a Champions League final or whatever because you support someone else is always a bit weird to me. Um, A few things that that struck me from this game. Number one, it's weird to look at the Stadio Olimpico and see it in that kind of makeup, whereas we've become used to it looking quite different. Uh, Number two, it's worth remembering that this is the first of three European Cups for Bob Paisley. And he's not doing it against some scrub. Like Udo Lattek in the other dugout is one of the all-time greats. The first manager to win all three major European trophies. European Cup, UEFA Cup and Cup Winners Cup. And he won them all with different clubs. A sensational manager. Managing, like we've said, a great team. And then I look at the Liverpool team. Ray Clemens, we signed from Scunthorpe. Phil Neal, we got from Northampton. Tommy Smith was an academy lad. Emlyn Hughes came from Blackpool. Joey Jones came from Wrexham. Jimmy Case was an academy lad. Ian Callaghan was an academy lad. Terry McDermott, local lad, started off at Bury, spent a year at Newcastle, came to us. Ray Kennedy was sort of a big-name player when we bought him coming in from Arsenal. Steve Highway, an Irish lad, came from Skelmersdale United, you know, and then joined our academy. Um, Kevin Keegan, Scunthorpe. and even looking at the subs David Fairclough, local lad came through the academy Uh, Peter McDonnell, we signed from Bury, David Johnston was a local lad but he actually went through the Everton Academy and we signed from Ipswich Alan Waddle we signed from Halifax Town and Alec Lindsay we signed from Bury Bar Joey Jones and Steve Highway they're all English players. 14 of the 16 players are English. And you look at the clubs we've bought them from, and Bar Terry Mack coming from Newcastle, and Ray Kennedy coming from Arsenal. Like We've signed them all mostly from lower league teams. And I suppose the purpose of that is to think of how different things are now. Like when we signed Andy Robertson from Hull, who'd just been relegated from the Premier League, but were a Premier League team the previous season, people lost their minds. What are we signing relegated players for? And I think that the purpose is, it's not where they come from, it's what they do when they get here. And all of those lads that I've named, those 16 lads there, nobody can ever take away the fact that when Liverpool won their first European Cup, those 16 lads were there They're the fellas who went and got the job done. And it struck me at the end of the game, they just walked around and shook each other's hands, a few (laughs) hugs here and there. Like there was no collapsing to the ground. There was no no crying or anything like that. These were just, as you you said earlier, Trev, these were lads. These were just fellas that had real-life worries that just went and played a game of football because that was the job. It wasn't like a thing where they were going to be set for life from this. Most of these lads had to go and seek employment after they finished playing. Some of them owned pubs. Some of them went on the after-dinner circuit. Some of them went and did whatever else they did. Some of them went into coaching or whatever else. It's such a different time. These are such different men than what we see play now. and I really do think we've gotten lost along the way. Like. You get a player now earns enough in one season to never have financial worries again. These lads played fifteen seasons and then had to figure out what was next. Yeah. How do I provide for my family next? And like, we laughed about the Tommy Smith thing with the axe, but it, you know he had to go chop wood for a fire or whatever it was he was doing. He had to do that. That was something he couldn't just get his assistant to do or hire someone to do. You know, you talk about Jan being brought to the local pub to meet the locals again. Like, we've lost that. There's no real connection now between players and the real general public. They live in this bizarre little bubble and everything is catered for for them. And to be frank, they're compared to this lot, they're soft as shit. None of them yeah. have survived five minutes of the game with Tommy Smith or Jimmy Case or Kevin say, Keegan.
0: Can you imagine five can minutes he... in the pub? We'd be yam. I don't think they'd survive. <laughs> that.
2: Can you imagine releasing? Uh, I don't know some of our current lot into B and Q and tell them to go and pick out an axe?
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they'd
2: go and lift I mean, the thing and fall over.
0: They'd come out with a guitar.
3: That's exactly it. They wouldn't I know think. what they were doing. Like it's just, it's such a good time to look back at, and obviously back at this point as well the city is booming and things are good for people and there's there's a lot of positivity and then obviously things went to shit with Thatcher or whatever but this was like a real moment of of joy for everybody and uh, and again like we've hit hit it a few times but we've beaten a great team here it's not like we beat some random bunch of lads we beat a, a bunch of german internationals and we beat, you know, one of the great players and Alan Simonsen from from Denmark, this was a really good team, managed by a great manager. And barring that 15-minute spell after they scored, before we got our second, like, we were the better team. The one thing you get doing this as opposed to doing a normal Raw is that when you're watching the game, you know the outcome, so you know, there's a few less heart palpitations and whatever else, um, and you know when the goals are coming, so you've got that to look forward to, but Even even watching it when Simmonson scored, you you do get that little bit of a sinking feeling like, oh, shit, this is this is going to go badly. We've just we've just we've just watched this movie against Real Madrid where we were the better team. But they scored and it all went away from us. So, yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed doing this. I I hope you guys did as well. I hope people have enjoyed listening to it because it was just something I thought could be useful to do during the summer. Could be a bit of fun as well. So.
2: Yeah. We we will we will come back to you for news, the last little bit of a revelation on what's up next. But Jim, let me finish with you then. Uh the your overall take from it because again, as Dave said, as as a cultural exercise, it's 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 been uh it's been very rewarding. And I, I I very much look forward to doing a few more of these. Uh it's the kind of thing you do just for yourself anyway. So to be able to have a chat about them afterwards is great and see how uh, the fabric uh, of, of, of the history of this fantastic club that we support has been, has been woven together over the years. But there must be, again, some takeaways for you. Uh, they don't even have to be necessarily match-related, obviously. Just some final wrap-up thoughts from yourself before we find
0: out from Dave at the very end where we're going next. No, it's, it's been it's been a pleasure to do, a pleasure to watch the match, a pleasure to watch the newsreel version that I found. Maybe we can share the link to that as well because that's another yes. way of looking yeah, at the yeah. game. Very strange, but uh, kind of makes you feel even older when you think that's the kind of thing they were putting out about that game. But I think, yeah, Discord ruined it. Ruined the the last half of the show. But you know what? In a way, it's a bonus that we get to do it again now because I think I could talk about this game over and over again. But this was just one of many games, but it was momentous, and I can remember in the bit that we lost that I just, as a child, just looking at the size of that trophy that we lifted, because this was way bigger than anything else. This was before the Premier League had made their copy of the Champions League with their trophy, basically. This was, and of course, it wasn't called the Champions League, then it was the European Cup. But there's, this. I think one thing we mentioned yesterday was how similar this game is to what we see now. and There, there are so many similarities, even the fact that um, that Dave's pointed out about the similarity between Mane and um, Keegan, Keegan had been at the club six years, which is how long Mane's been at Liverpool now. It's You know, even that is is similar, I think. There's the the, the other thing as well about the the difference in how, how the world is now to how it was then. I think, yeah, players now live in gated mansions. You can't just go and knock on the front door. Um, you can go and press the button by the gate, I imagine, and one of the people will come and tell you whether or not you're allowed in. But, you know, in this day, I mean, Bill Shankley He's famously known for having people knocking on his door and asking him things, and and that's how accessible they were. But there was always, a course, they weren't invaded. There was no sort of need for them to worry because people were polite more often back more often than not back then, and yeah. you, you know you wouldn't dream of kind of disturbing yeah. someone. You'd feel bad about it, so you wouldn't just go knock on the door. But the truth is, they were more accessible. Yeah, I think that's something Klopp's done with these plays. Is he it kind of made sure they, they appreciate who the fans are? There's if it wasn't for us, they wouldn't be there, and, and they know that. These players know that. Even the club's owners seem to know that now. I'm sure, which is another good sign. But that's the first time we've mentioned owners today. We didn't mention owners back then at all because we didn't really know who they were. It was behind the scenes, nothing we needed to worry about. It's, um, it's it's, it's a shame that we can't see this in all its HD glory. But I think the fact that we saw it in sort of VHS, sort of smoothed out glory with. The commentary from Barry Davies down the phone line just made it what it is, just made it ever so special, just that little bit different, just brought that bit of an extra nostalgic feeling to it. And, you know, I don't know in years to come when we're looking at the equivalent to, say, the last time we won the European Cup. Looking at if people are looking at that, probably won't be us in all those future decades. What the technology would be like then, maybe it's going to be 3D and all the rest of it. Who knows? But, you know what? I just think this this was a special moment. It's been remembered for those who weren't there by this this tv coverage that we got those who were lucky enough to go will remember it in different ways and i think yeah it was it was the start of our european dominance and we were dominant at that at that time we've had a spell away from it but i think the fact we're knocking on the door so much these days hopefully is a sign that you know maybe that dominance is going to come back again and Again, one, one, one final thing to say is, you know, keep the belief, keep the keep the faith. When Simonson scored their equaliser, it would have been easy for us to have our heads down, but we didn't. We knew that that was just 1-1. One, one. And that sort of rounds off what I was going to say about Mane, really, that one of the first games Klopp managed for Liverpool, Mane was playing against us for Southampton. I think it was his first home game as Liverpool boss. And Mane got an equaliser and Klopp, I've mentioned it a few times, Klopp was just astounded at how all these Liverpool players' heads went down at that point as if the game was over. It was 1-1, there was still maybe 10 minutes to go, there was time left to do something and yet they acted as if they were beaten. This this side in 1977 didn't act as if they were beaten when it was 1-1. They were disappointed but they didn't act as if they were beaten and they weren't beaten because they went on to win it and you know in a nice circular way maybe, maybe that's where one more comparison with Mane and Liverpool and the Liverpool of 1977 with Keegan and Paisley. The, you know, we got it right then. We're getting it right now. Long may it continue.
2: I hope we are actually um, hologram Boardman and hologram Hendrick, <laughs> And we're looking back in 20 years' time talking about this era and all the European Cups we finally lifted after the the disappointments that we've had of, of late uh as jim has said and David said uh, it's been a joy to do hopefully it has been uh enjoyable for you to listen to we're going to try it once more and you can let us know then you, you'll be the arbiters of whether it continues i guess uh because we are going to try it again and and, and uh, do a, a game from a different era so dave just to finish off this show will you let people know what they can look forward to next
3: yes yeah, so the next one we're going to do. Um is with Harry and Harry's my step in for Jim and Harry's obviously a child and doesn't (laughs) (laughs) doesn't have any memories of of older things. So um, with this having been our first European cup win and, and the one that really launched us into the stratosphere of becoming a European great, I thought it was important to look at another European win that really did propel us back into you know, the European com- conversation. So the 2001 UEFA Cup Final uh Liverpool versus Alves will be our next one. Um So hopefully we'll get that done next week. Maybe we will not record it on Discord. We are going to use Zoom because Discord can go and shit. It really can. Um, <laughs> what a pain in the backside. So yeah, we're going to use uh, Zoom. So it won't be live, unfortunately, but we'll be able to do one take and get it out to you as quickly as possible.
2: I think that's the thing to do with these. Uh, the, the live aspect of the of the 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 reflection retro shows always was a bit jarring with me anyway. So I think that's a, the best way to go. At least we can assure that you're going to have uh, things out promptly to you. And hopefully, like I said, you will have enjoyed this one and be looking forward to that next one. I've been Trev Denny. You heard Jim Boardman and Dave Hendrick. Guy Drinkle was producing. Yeah, fuck Discord.